filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. It's August 31st, Monday night, as we record this. And I just want to say to all the parents and teachers out there dealing with everything, you're awesome. You're doing a great job. I got your back. LFG. <laughs> Distance learning your... is, is, is going to be hard, but we're going to get through this. It's going to be probably not going to be great. But you know what? We're DC United fans. If we can get through that, we can get through this. Go buy yourself some whiskey. Let's go. <laughs> uh, we had we had our first day of distance learning today, and I am incredibly grateful for our our friends who have kids the same ages as ours, a first grader and a, a brand new pre-K three student. Um, and so we have our little pod where parents are handing off basically administrator duties, just getting the kids logged on, getting them running around getting them fed, making sure they're back in front of their devices at the right time. And like we're in total village mode here, just trying to cover for each other. And because of all that today, I had the first normal work day. As far as hours I worked since this whole thing began in March, I got to work a nine to five shift today. And you guys, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I did not. I was not at the not at the computer at six thirty a.m. or at eight p.m. It was amazing. I forgot that that was a thing, and I just want to shout out my friends and neighbors that we are are helping get get us through this, and all the other parents who who might not be as lucky to be able to have that situation. Um, we're we're in it now. It's school is back, and I just needed to shout out the other parents and celebrate my own very small victory <laughs> this week. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Adam is severely needs a mental break podcast. I'm Adam. I do severely need a mental break. I'm Adam Taylor. Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley are with me. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United and sometimes our own mental health issues. Tonight, we are uh, probably going to get into both because DC United is in a very dark place right now. Uh we have two losses to talk about tonight from DC United and a preview of the Atlantic Cup matchup against the New York Red Bulls. Uh, that'll happen Wednesday night, September 2nd, 7.30 p.m. Watch it on WJLA 24-7 News, News Channel 8. Uh, if you're an old hat, by old hat, I mean someone with a memory longer than a year or so. Uh, it's also on no DCUnited.com. <laughs> yeah, it's true. What is time? What is memory? Uh, that game will also be on DCUnited.com if you are in the immediate DMV area and on ESPN Plus if you are elsewhere. Adam, is this, are we verging into Marcel Proust territory? Um, what is time? What is memory? We're getting very close to uh, getting into Proust territory. Uh, congrats to our listeners that have tolerated that reference. Let's, let's just <laughs> move past it. <laughs> just, 
doing what we always do on the show and eventually soldiering on. Before we get into the actual games, of course, I have to ask Jason this. Existentially, what are you drinking? Existentially, uh, I, I don't know, uh, melancholy? Um, <laughs> Good answer. But in terms, in terms of literal uh, substances that are liquid that I'm drinking and consuming, um, and actually, may, maybe my answer really should be nostalgia, because... Uh, I got into a conversation over the weekend that took me back to a specific time and place. And that specific time and place was 2006 drunk brunches on Sunday at the front page of DuPont Circle. And <laughs> that time, that time and place, the a common drink in that realm was a vanilla Coke, uh, Stoli vanilla with Coca-Cola. And it's been on my mind. I mentioned it in the, um, the yep. uh, game preview as what I was going to be drinking. I had one uh, after the, I didn't have one during the game. I ran out of time. Uh, I had one after because the game was bad uh, and the kind of flavor is good. I was just thinking about it and it's the most basic drink in the world almost, but uh, I made another one tonight. So Jason, would you say that you're in search of lost time? <laughs> yes, uh, I would uh, unequivocally. Ben, what are you drinking, existentially or otherwise? Um, unfortunately, I I I am. I don't have any Prussian drinks. I did get a fountain pen ink that uh, reminds me of the Little Prince in that kind of like. Uh, You're not drinking heart touching. I'm not drinking the ink, but okay, it reminds me of the, of the Little Prince in that same way that like, like it, it's both heartwarming and melancholy and wistful all at the same time. So I guess it's kind of the same feeling that Jason's going for as well. Uh, but I am actually drinking with my human mouth, um, devil's backbone, cosmic fruit overdrive. I think I had that uh, a couple of months ago on the podcast. They describe it as a smoothie ale. And really all you taste is just like a fruit blast. Uh, it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, it was not a million degrees today. It was pretty nice in DC today. Um, so I'm wishing the weather to, to go even cooler still and, and having a, a Manhattan made of all, almost all DC ingredients. I've got one eights district made rye. I've got Capitoline vermouths, Rose vermouth in here. Um, and then some like whiskey barrel aged bitters um, and, and a cocktail cherry. So uh, calling that a win. It is a very strong drink after uh, to, to celebrate my, my small <laughs> victory go. today. My very big, very small victory. Uh, On to the soccer. It has been in a very long and rough week since DC United uh, unveiled their, their new look 3-5-2 in a scoreless draw at Cincinnati. Yes, that was only a week ago, um, which is long enough ago for Ben before the show to admit, forgetting that that game even happened, because it was a million years ago last week. Uh, that's the New England since, one I forgot, not Cincinnati. Yes. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> see, I've already forgotten what we talked about. <laughs> You've it's also been... forgotten the New England game. Yes. Uh, well, I was going to say, since the Cincinnati game, we've seen a maybe not as bad as it seemed, but still pretty bad two to one home loss to New England, and then every bit as bad as it, you think it was four to one loss to the Philadelphia Union on the road. Um, let's start with that new England game, uh, because it had some knock on effects that, that 
may have contributed to Philly, may have, may not have, but will affect DC United going forward. Uh, injuries being the big story there. Russell Knauss went down with a hamstring injury. Edison Flores went out with a facial injury and will be having, or may have already had, uh, plastic surgery to to repair orbital bone fractures around his eye um he'll be out for four to six weeks certainly the rest of this sprint um the last four three games four games three games three of games. uh of this six game sprint uh so he'll be missing both games against the metros and then uh the nycfc game so that's bad news certainly yeah, it sucks. uh as as bad as the loss was, that's what I'm taking away as the worst part of that New England game. Uh, yeah, uh, the injuries, the pileup of injuries is really a big problem. We've talked enough about how the team needs to have more players on it. Um, and this is the instead kind of, they mean, keep getting less. <laughs> right. Um, DC, fewer. Sorry, fewer. DC played the Philadelphia game with 32 percent of their players not in uniform. Um, yeah, uh, it's a large it's, number. It's too large. Uh, it should not be that large. Um, the and benches not, are allowed not, to be expanded for this. Yes. And they were playing with a short bench under normal, like the normal yes, 18 man roster. They were unable to fill, let alone the 20 man right. expanded roster. They're allowed now. Even, even if DC maxed out their full allotment of 30 and had the full allotment of 20 on game day, um, the percentages of absentees would have been the same. And these were not guys that were left home. These were guys that they could not put on the field. Um, so that's, it's the last thing this team needed um, to both, both to just get out of this winless run and also to, you know, they're trying to play a different way. Uh, and the last thing you need when trying to adapt to that different way is to have, just have a bunch of guys not there to build the relationships they need to build to be good at it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it sucks. It sucks, man. Um, the less bad, but still not great part of this, this new England game is that DC United actually had a few chances to waste. We actually get to complain about finishing, which we haven't gotten to do yet in so long because DC United actually generated some chances. They were unable to finish them which is not great, but they actually had some looks in front of goal, Ben. They did, and <laughs> Ola Kamara did things with them, a.k.a. nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I ended up That's feeling right. that... I ended up feeling at the end of that game uh, kind of like how I did in 2017. It was just like they couldn't get anything right, especially after Russell Knauss went out and they couldn't fit any of the pieces into a team that looked happy to be playing that the way that the team was trying to be played. And that's how things go when you have a really short roster and the shorter it gets, the more you have to try and fit pieces into places that they don't belong. And, and the new England game started us, down that road and well we'll get to the philly game let's get to the philly game right now which was over about that quickly um dc united giving up three goals inside of 21 minutes and from there it was was... i want to throw in one thing 
on the New England game, just a, a fact that I saw. Um, you know, after the game, Ben Olsen said that he felt the game wasn't as bad, I, I, to specifically answering my question, saying that he, he didn't think that the performance was as bad as my question indicated. Um, so I was like, I, I was like, I want to, you know, I want to look at this and see, you know, what is he seeing that I don't see? Um, and I didn't get it from rewatching the game. I actually saw it in an expected goal breakdown um, that I, I retweeted. It's long enough ago that um, you're probably not going to see it. And I can't remember the exact name of the Twitter account that did it. So it might be lost to time, but it, it was an expected goals breakdown that didn't just break down the totals. It also had open play versus set piece expected goals. And not only did DC have like an overall one goal edge on the revs in this game from open play, they gave up 0.07 expected goals, Um, which is almost, it's almost unheard of in MLS to give up that few uh, expected goals to a team. Um, It's just that the revs scored their two goals on an absolute uh, inexplicable mistake uh, following a half cleared corner and then on a different corner. Um, And DC had wasted some chances when they were doing well and then kind of fell off a cliff when Canals got hurt, like Ben said. And that was the story of the game. So it was a very frustrating game in part because they probably should have won the game um, based on at least some of the data. They should have won the game. Uh, so it's it's one of those times where you feel kind of cursed a little bit. Like, what do you have to do to win? Because the, these are the goals you're giving up and these are the chances you're not putting away it's the most frustrating place to be in as a fan. Cause you, if, if your team is terrible, you're just like, okay, we're hopeless. I get it. I can wrap my head around it. Um, but when you outplay the other team and then you can't make it count to some extent, that's much, it's much more frustrating in the short term, at least that you're just like, well, what do we have to do? Yeah. I mean, the team seems like they're, they're snake bit, right? I mean, you have, you have Orejas Flores who has been under some, I would say deserved criticism for some lackluster performances in Orlando and, and during the return to play, we we've seen, he came out of halftime against new England kind of on fire. He was more involved in the the early part of the second half and more aggressive and actually showing flashes of what we thought we were getting from him. And then he goes and a defender smashes his head into his face and breaks his eye bone. So like as, as soon as he starts showing a little bit of what he can do and say, okay, you have my attention now, his face literally gets smashed and he's out for a month or two. So that's 2020 for, for DC United. It feels like, um, yeah, a little bit. It really is. That, that is a summation of that game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Philly game, very, very different. Uh, DC United actually came out engaged in a little bit of possession to open things. They didn't look completely overwhelmed from the start, but then they give up a corner kick goal, another set piece, specifically corner kick goal, and the entire world falls apart around them. Uh, And before you know it, they're down three to nothing and the game is over. And, you know, you can't really take a whole lot of stock in the performance from from there dc united did generate a few chances but philly was really content just to kind of kick the ball around and you know laugh at dc united deservedly for for their performance uh philly's really good and they know it and that's that's they they showed it they were playing with the attitude that you know the old hats are used to remembering dc united as having and just they just don't right now 
yeah, uh, the the fact that you know I I don't think it was the first goal where DC really fell apart. Um, it was the second goal. Um, yeah, you know, the, the first goal was really frustrating because it's a set piece goal that really should be cleared, and you should never have. Casper Shabilko is a giant man. Like at the at the very least, you should be trying to to mark him because you just look around and be like, you know, these guys are going to kick the ball in the air towards all of us, and that guy's big, so we probably need to do something about that guy. Just like the most basic thing in the world. Um, but he gets wide open. Uh, I believe it was Pines that had the ball bounce past him, and he could have gotten a foot on it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the easiest goal Shabilko is going to score all year. Um, that one, I mean, it's it's potentially demoralizing, but I think the game stayed back and forth. Philly was having the better of it, but it was still back and forth. DC had chances of their own um, or opportunities where they were, you know, looking dangerous going forward. And then they give up the second goal and it's a different set piece disaster it, or not a set piece. It's a cross into the box that just never gets dealt with. Um, half, a little half clearance followed by... Axel Schuberg trying to get his foot onto it and just not doing a good job of that. Um, and that goal absolutely took the wind out of their sails completely. Um, well, that was one a great too, shot. The, yeah, it was. I'll give uh, him that. But yeah, Casper Shabilko's first goal is about as high of an XG as you're ever going to see. It was like even the most layup shot you're ever, you'll get in soccer is really only half of an expected goal because you can get tackled a, a goalie. Someone can block it. A goalie can block it. Um, unless you're shooting it from inside the goal. And his was over 0.5 <laughs> because it was a, yeah. a tap in with nobody in front of him at the from back. Two post. yards. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, his second goal was like, if you look at the, I forget if it's game state or game game XG game flow or something like that is the Twitter account you were mentioned. You were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact name either, but the, they showed his XG on the second goal and it's just a tiny little blip of a pixel. Yep. Um, it was a fantastic finish. That was not one to blame the goalkeeper for allowing a, that it was a perfectly curled, powerful shot into the corner. Um, but, but that goal started, I think the, the, genesis of that move that led to that goal was uh, the same thing that's foiled DC United time and again and it's they were stagnant the forwards specifically and the attacking midfielders were stagnant the ball works around the right side and Julian Gressel gets the ball and there's nowhere for him to go and he's under pressure and he has to hit basically a blind pass to where Ola Kamara should have been cutting back and checking to the ball and there's right. nobody there except a defender to say, thank you very much and start the counterattack in DC United because they're in the building phase. Everyone is spread out. And that means every Philadelphia union player is open and they can just run. And I, I don't blame Gressel for that turnover because he seemed to be expecting, like there was a pattern to this play and it seemed to be something they'd worked on and just someone who was supposed to receive that pass didn't do their job is the way I read that play. Yeah, that seems, that seems fair. Well, and it's speaking of people being spread out and responsibilities for the goal. Uh, as I wrote in my notes, actual Schuberg, his positioning was terrible in this game. And he's also far too slow to make up for his terrible positioning. Cause he contributed heavily to both the second and the third goal. Uh, especially the third goal. I mean, he should have been able to deal with the second goal at some point. And then the third goal, he was far too close 
he was far too into the middle uh, when Santos was just running and running and running in a billion acres of space. And then he couldn't get back out to shut him down or help sites at all. Uh, and he just gave Santos a free run on goal. And so it, I know he's only been with the team a little bit, but he's a veteran who should know how to position himself. And I mean, you can't cure speed, but uh, it's an indictment of the signing and also indictment of the injuries and another a case of trying to shove a square peg into the round hole of a three five two. He's not a three five two center back. Well, I mean, I don't well, know if that, that play yeah. is any better in a four four two. Like, if you're playing high up the field, you're playing high up the field. Well, and it, this gets at there. There are two problems here. Um, one is that I think the team set Schuberg up badly by playing him on the outside of this back three. Um, yeah. I think Pines with, is much faster. Pines could yeah. play outside. I, I think with this group of three defenders, and we're, we're, I mean, let's at least give some credit to the fact that we're talking about three guys who have never played a competitive game before uh, together. We're talking about Joseph Mora playing the left side of a uh, back three, which is not what he does. He is a guy that needs to be out wide. It's a we don't have any other options move uh, just like Canals playing right center back the week or the game before. Um, but if you're going to play those three together, it's gotta be, in my opinion, at least it's gotta be Pines, Schuberg, Mora. Um, yeah. Pines has to be that player to the right because of moments like this, where they might break out, especially knowing that the union play the way the union set up, um, they're two forwards. One is a right center forward. One is a left center forward. They don't interchange. They kind of cut the field in half and they say, you stay over here and you stay over here. Um, Sergio Santos is the speedy guy in that forward duo. And he is the left center forward. He's the guy that's going to be up against the right center back the most often. And he's the fast player, um, in that forward pairing. So specifically because of the union, um, I think DC needed to make that adjustment and they didn't. So um, part of me wants to just write this one. Off. I mean, Schubert looked like a guy who hadn't played since March, which is exactly what he is um, yeah. because that's the situation he finds himself in. Um, but I also kind of want to write it off as a, you know, is this game indicative of what he's going to do here? Because that that's sure. not a good position for him. But also um, they should have had a fourth center back on the roster since February. Right. Um, I mean, and, this one would have been a fifth center back is what they needed because they had both Burnbaum and Briant sure. out for this one. But, like well, when true. your top two center backs are out, you're going and you're playing a three back. You're going to need a fifth center back, which well, but he was the fourth, should have signed at some point. He yeah. was the fourth center back. We needed a fourth and a fifth center back. Right. We yeah. needed a fourth, a fourth before he got here. Um, yes. Yeah. But the, the other problem with this is something that Olsen brought up post game, which is that the team was too desperate to chase the deficit. Um, and try and make sure that two nothing became two one really quickly. And so they were very, they stepped up extremely high and got extremely wide. And when the ball turned over, Jose Martinez is a very good passing player. He picks up a yellow card in every game he plays somehow. Um, but he can pass really well. And he, that ball came to him. He got his head up and Sergio Santos is all alone, uh, on that side of the field. And he's like, Oh, this is great for me and, and for him. And like, I saw some people like maybe throwing some shade at uh, Gressel again in that situation. Gressel, uh, like his lunge at that ball from, from Martinez, he like, 
that was the only play he had at that point. Like uh, if Santos is off either way, either if uh, Gressel misses that ball or doesn't attempt it. Uh, So, and Gressel would have ended up 10 yards behind uh, Santos when Santos reaches the box anyway. Like, yeah, that's one of those where it it looks like a spectacular fail, but it was the only, that was the highest percentage move he had. Right. He's making a lunge to try and save the day. This is not yeah. a he did something weird and it went wrong. This was a if I if I lunge at this and I get a toe to it, it's a hero tackle. Yeah. But otherwise I have no other play on this ball. Right. Um, right. And you you there are situations where making that going for the hero tackle is the wrong thing and you should try to contain. Like if you're facing a dribbler and you're a defensive midfielder, if you go for the tackle and miss, you're letting him one-on-one with your center backs. That's yeah. a mistake. If you are a wing back trying to stop a ball in behind that you will otherwise have no chance of catching up to, make the lunge. That's the right yeah. call. Uh whether you 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 succeed or not. The uh the silver lining for for this game is we got to see Moses Nyman's. But before we can we um we we kind of forgot to even mention this before the show and I only realized it because I saw the note sitting out. Um <laughs> this um this is a stat thing that I, I feel like is gonna be a surprise for you guys. It was a surprise for me okay. to see it. Um so this is from the New England game and from the Philadelphia game. This is combining things. Um which if I told you that one player for DC United had one third of their attempted dribbles and by far by double anyone else, the most successful dribbles. What player do you think that would be from those two games? So a player had a third of DC United's attempted dribbles during these two games combined Mm -hmm. and led the team in successful dribbles. Yes. By, by double the total of anyone else. Griffin Yao. Not Griffin Yao. Ulysses Segura. It's not Ulysses Segura. It's Joseph Mora. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Joseph Mora had four successful dribbles out of six attempts. DC United attempted 19 as a team in those uh, combining those two games. Um, no it one feels else like not a lot of attempted two. dribbles. Uh, so I tried to, com- I, I thought that as well, and I tried to compare it to the opponent. Um, and against Philly, DC attempted nine, the Union attempted 13. Uh, against the Revs is where it jumps out. DC attempted 10. The Revs attempted 18. Um, yeah. Now, the, the Revs only completed eight of their 18, so it's not like they were just constantly beating people in the dribble. Um, but it is something that I had in my mind was, you know, last year I feel like DC, mostly because of Lucho, was trying to take people on left and right. This year, very different. And I wanted something to sort of tell me, is that happening or not? And this kind of tells me, like, Joseph Mora that's a higher number than I thought he was going to have by far. Um, but if he's got that high of a number in this particular stat, someone else has to be ahead of him um, or even close. And no one's close. Uh, the next closest would be Kevin Paredes with two, two successful out of three attempts. Um, yeah. How many of Mora's were um, in that new England game when he was playing wing back versus the Philly game when he was playing center back? Uh, I didn't I didn't break it down by game on my note, but I'm pretty sure they were very close numbers. I, mean, okay. um, I think that's the I surprising the part for me because I remember him getting the, into the Reds game is more, but it's not by a lot. So it's probably right. four and one and two in the other. I mean, he was definitely 
like even as a center back, especially after the two goals, he was definitely like high and wide in that, yeah. even though he was supposedly a center back in that, uh, in that Philly game, I noticed him on the touchline a lot more than I, and I remember thinking, huh, that's not where a center back goes. I mean, when you're two nothing and you're, you're throwing the kitchen sink at a team, like it's right. yeah. a minute. Um, the other throwing the kitchen sink thing. out there in the 18th minute, like yes, you do. Not, generally not the best uh, plan um, when the game is going badly. You just need to get on your feet and like get start putting one foot in front of the other. And DC was trying to save the world, and they gave up the third goal. Um, the other surprising stat from these games, which is a surprise, but I don't have a good way to frame it uh, suspensefully, like the first one. Um, I broke. I looked at all the key passes, all the successful dribbles, all the dribble attempts. Yamil Assad, zero key passes, zero successful dribbles, zero attempted dribbles. Um, lots of playing it safe. Uh, very few passing giveaways. Uh, he is completing a ton of his passes, like in the 90% range, but he's not doing anything else. Um, so that's a player that definitely needs to perform better with the ball. Without the ball, I think, you know, we know Yamil Assad's good high pressing. We, we know he can do that. Uh, but with the ball, he's got to start adding something to the group he's got to take some more risks and he's got to be more productive because this team needs attacking production it can't just be you know a goal while you're two or three goals behind it has to be more than that um yeah, and he's he's and had a couple of good shots yes. that i can remember but yeah he's not he's he's kind of playing it like i mean i will always love nick de leon till the day i die but he's a guy who especially in his later years in DC played it very safe. He was very secure with the ball, never turned it over. Um, but he wasn't going to get a key pass. He was going to pass it sideways or, or a safe diagonal pass. And that's not what you need in a number 10. Like if, if Assad mm-hmm. is going to play the 10, he's got to, got to take those risks and, and make them pay too. Or, or someone else has to get that, that role. Um, I right. think Camilo yes. is, is one of the best 11 players on the team. But right now, at least, he's just sort of out there um, on a team that needs more from that spot. So to my mind, um, if that's what you're going to get out of him, then you've got to say, Pipa, can you play an hour? Um, let's right. let's roll the dice on seeing if you have it in you to play an hour. Um, because this is another game state thing that's coming to my mind right now that I tweeted this. DC has lost the first half of games this year 10 goals to zero. Zero, Great. no goals awesome. in the first half. They have no goals before the 59th minute of any game that was a competitive game this year. You that, is a, that is so a first brutal is indictment. Hanging on. Yeah. That is, that is a brutal indictment of your starters. Yeah, and um, it's been, because it's frustrating because we've got all different, a variety of different reasons. You know, we've got the start of the season, the team didn't really have the understanding MLS is back was pure grinded out uh, no real attempt to, to even try and score goals in the first half. Uh, and then right now it's, they're trying, they're just getting it wrong. Um, but you're not going to have a lot of success in soccer. If you keep being behind because there aren't a lot of goals in soccer, it's very intuitive. It follows very, very easily. If you score first, you tend to win a lot of games. If you don't score first, if the other team is scoring first on you, you tend to lose a lot. And that's what's going on. So getting back to the silver lining. Yes. Which now let's have some fun. I, the bronze I lining. My, 
I don't know. I think this could, this is, I, I'm willing to call this silver. We this saw is, Moses Nyman's MLS. We just debut. did our medicine. This is dessert. We had to take our go. medicine. It was unpleasant, but now we get a treat. Now we get our pudding. Now we get, yeah, we get the spoonful of sugar now. <laughs> I mean, I'd prefer uh, the pudding over just a spoonful of sugar. Um, that's, that's fair. Uh, Moses Nyman, 16 year old homegrown midfielder for DC United made his debut. Uh, and, and, even more seeing him along with the 17 year old Griffin Yao, the 17 year old Kevin Paredes, the 21 year old Eric Sorga, the 22 year old Donovan Pines on the field together. All but Sorga are DC United Academy products, homegrown signings. Um, that was kind of cool. And they actually kind of balled out. Yeah, it was a. It was a combination of they had nothing to lose uh, scoreline-wise. They had everything to gain by playing well. And these guys have played a lot together all at, uh, when DC United had enough healthy players to have a second line in practice. And so they had more of an understanding with each other uh, than you might expect. And you saw that, like... Uh, there were at least two back heels that, that were successful, like successful back heel passes to keep the ball moving uh, during this uh, uh, run of play with the young players. Um, there was uh, the build up to DC United's only goal, which we'll get into, I'm sure, in depth. Uh, it was fun to see them all out there. Griffin Yao played especially well. Uh, he was notably very good. And, uh, deserving of more minutes going forward uh it was it was nice to see and i hope that this means that they're going to get more time going forward i'm sure they will in the short term because there's nobody else but i hope they can break out and maybe just become the starters if they're if if their play continues to demand it well one thing that jumped jumped out to me jason it's something you you had pointed out about kevin paredes and i saw this with nyman too in the midfield is the urgency with every movement um he's he's sprinting when he's on the ball or off if he he's and if he's not sprinting there's a reason for it he's moving into the space and trying to get there at the right time he's turning on the ball and if there's space he's eating it up um and dribbling forward it was a level of urgency that we we haven't seen from uh, Junior Moreno or Felipe in that spot. Um, it was really nice to see, and I, I want to see a lot more. Yeah, I mean, this is Nyaman showed people that haven't watched Loudon. Um, Nyaman showed exactly why he is the subject of you know the, the classic um, one of the many USMNT. I'm going to clip videos of this guy and not give you any context of what's going on around him accounts. Um, there's a reason why he's now getting that treatment. Um, and it's because people that have seen him know that this is who he is as a player and who he's going to become. It's really, really promising. Um, the fact that, uh, he changed the tempo of the game. Um, he, he made DC United speed their play up. Now, yes, it's four one in a game that both teams have agreed is more or less over. Um, but I, I want to say, Nyaman Yao and Kevin Paredes and and Eric Sorga as well um, to throw him in not as he's not a homegrown but he's 20 he's close enough to that age um, they sped the game up they said okay fine it's we're you know we're losing but we want to do well um, we want to get this team playing the end of this game like we can you know make something happen 
And, you know, this is where the goal comes from. Uh, not Nyman wasn't in during that segment, but um, DC showed some signs of life. And I think some of it comes down to these young players, not just getting in the game and getting their feet wet, but actually taking responsibility um, on, on the ball specifically, which is something that, you know, when, when we talk about Yumi Assad's uh, data, that's a sign he's not taking enough responsibility to do something with the ball. Um, and these young guys were doing something with the ball. They really wanted to make something happen and they aren't afraid that like, well, it's my debut. I can't take these risks. But, you know, Ben's talking about the back heels, for example, you don't do that if you're not highly confident in what you do. And yep. with Nyaman, it's not just that he moves quickly. It's that he moves the ball quickly. Uh, he changes the geometry of the midfield quickly. It's always, it's not long sprints. It's I'm going to move five yards this way. Um, and just change the angle enough so that you can complete a pass. And this guy is chasing me rather than being on me. Um, and now I've and he does it off the ball too. Right. Um, and, and doing that repeatedly speeds the team up. Um, it, it really does flow that simply. If you can be faster mentally and technically proficient with the ball, like Nyman is, you will speed the team's passing game up because you will start opening up angles that, Otherwise, you have to wait another touch and wait for it to open, and then you can make the pass. Um, he's making those angles open up earlier, and it's it's not by a lot. It's small things, but it's small things over and over again stacking up. There's only one moment I can remember, and I haven't looked at the stats to to back this up, but there's only one moment I remember with Nyman, who, granted, it was a pretty short appearance, that he got tackled. And he had actually put himself in a position to be tackled in a foul basically he just put himself in front of a defender and let himself get run over to win the foul when dc united was was pinned back and he he might have been able to break out but it would have been pretty iffy so instead he just took the foul which was the smart play in that moment it's it it was promising to see him think as as well as play you know be able to run fast but like you said he thinks the game really quickly and i want to see all these young guys start i think we saw Junior Moreno struggle in this game. He looked tired. Julian Gressel got his first goal. Congratulations. First goal for in a DC United shirt for, for Gressel and he just smashed the ball into the net. Yes. Um, that was a frustration but, shot. Uh, yeah. There was emotion with that shot. Like I feel bad for the net <laughs> and the ball for that matter. Um, they both got hit really hard, but he looked tired. I, I would have no problem sitting, starting both of them on the bench and putting Nyman and Yao out there to, to start the game. Um, I think Eric Sorga deserves a start uh, seeing what he was able to do compared to what Ulysses Segura did up there next to Ola Kamara. Um, plus then we have two natural forwards starting the game. And as we're going to get to after the break, there's now a third forward that might be able to sit on the bench and back them up. So why not actually play with two forwards if you have a two forward setup? <laughs> Well, with Yao specifically, this also, you know, if you're you're getting at, you know, Moreno and Gressel had to play this game because there aren't that many options that play the roles that they play the way that they play them. Um, however, uh, especially with Gressel, if Griffin Yao emerges as an option on a regular basis, and I, I would say given based on if if this performance was a show of what he can do on a regular basis against other teams, if he can carry this forward then I would say if DC is at home or if DC is facing a team that we know is conservative, 
I would rather see him start not just for the future, but also for right now um, yeah. to win the game that day because he was more dangerous uh, than Segura has been. The add-on effect of that is that if Segura isn't needed, whether it's uh, two forwards or this, you know, maybe we see a switch to uh, three, four, two, one, um, which is kind of what we saw at halftime with the Al playing that right uh, forward role a little underneath. Um, if you switch to that and Yao is taking Segura's minutes as an attacker, you can now play Segura as a wingback, which means you don't have to ask Julian Gressel to play 90 minutes over and over and over again, um, or 79 minutes as this was the case. Uh, you don't have to say, you know, Joseph Mora and Kevin Paredes have to be available to play the wingback minutes because they're the only options. You Now you have another player that can play there, still add something to the attack. You know, we know Segura can play pretty decently as a wingback, um, but we might have a better technical player, a player who's going to create more further forward, which is kind of important for a team that can't get a win right now. So and the knock-on the knock on of Yao breaking through is it increases depth further back, which DC needs. And then if you have, for example, uh, a number 10 who is... Uh, injured for a while and a substitute number 10 who isn't making any uh, key passes, maybe, maybe put Gressel in the center of the park. And then you've got uh, another look there too. I mean, it could be worth a shot, but yeah, I I, I really like what Gressel's doing outside. I think just in general, the positive with all three of the homegrown teenagers playing that well in a game that was lost. Like it's one of those games where you have every excuse as a, as a substitute to come in and just be exist on the field for 45 minutes. Um, and the fact that they came in and were like, I don't care about the score. I don't care about how this game is going. I am going to do everything I can to try and make this game a come. I'm going to try and make a comeback out of this game somehow. It didn't work, but they were doing a lot right. Um, and that's a big sign. Um, and I would hope that there's a reward in that because if you're winless in six and you're not playing well to start games and then you bring some guys into a game and they brighten you up all of a sudden and you're playing a little better, it's kind of hard to not to then the next week or in our case, a couple of days later, be like, okay, back to the bench with you. Um, you know, it helps the team to give those guys a reward because it's not like the players on the bench are like, oh, we were doing better than that. They look at it and they see the game too. And they're like, you know, we got a lot better when uh, Griff came in, it turned out. Um, so I'm hoping that we see more minutes for these guys. And I hope that they can, I mean, Kevin Paredes has been very consistent. Um, and if Yao and Nyaman can bring what they game, what they brought from the union game to future games, if it wasn't a one-off we're you know, we might have something here. Right. I'm really happy to see Yao do well at two positions positions in this game because like you said he kind of came in in that outside forward attacking midfielder role but his he almost got an assist as a wingback after Gressel came out and he moved back into that spot Mm -hmm. DC United's probably best attacking move like I didn't even count the passes but there were many passes where DC United actually possessed the ball with a purpose moved it around and eventually got Griffin Yao running all by himself at the back post um I wish I could remember who actually clipped the ball to him over the defense, but then he touches it back uh, across goal and Eric Sorga is just a little bit too late and knocks it into the side netting instead of into the, in between the goalposts. 
Um, but it was it was United's best attacking move of the season, I think, bar none. And Yao got into the box as a wingback, which is was exciting to see because um, that's the kind of extra number that sometimes you need uh, to to break defenses open. And he he managed to do it at a responsible time in a really dangerous moment, and almost almost made it count. It was a great square ball by him. Just mm-hmm. didn't quite work out for DC United on that play. But play your kids. That's all I'm going to say to to end this on a familiar refrain for for MLS fans. That's it for this segment. We will be right back to talk some DC United news and preview the game against the Red Bulls. Please stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens, and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you call the ehrlich law office because you have rights that's right and your rights matter and you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work the ehrlich law office handles workplace discrimination they do civil rights uh if you have a wage theft issue they are there for you if you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, some DC United news before we get to the game preview. DC United has now signed a forward. We've been calling for it since literally December. And DC United has now gone and done it. They announced uh, that one-time Venezuela international Gelman Rivas, 31-year-old, most recently with Ankara Guju in Turkey, uh, has signed with the club. He's bounced around the Middle Eastern leagues for the last five years or so, really since 2015. Spent 2019 in Uruguay before heading back over to Turkey. Um, But he's now coming to DC United. He's been in the country uh, apparently we were told quarantining uh because you know covid is the reality now uh but he's uh like i said 31 year old big forward um joining the team i know next to nothing about him i won't pretend to uh jason i know you looked up some of his his stats and and whatnot but i don't know how much you've been able to glean either yeah, I mean, I tried, you know, it, it's tough to investigate uh, when a player is played in the Middle East because we just, as much as we think of soccer as a global game, there's not a lot of English language data sitting around out there based on those leagues because, quite frankly, a lot of English-speaking countries do not view those as leagues that are worth thinking about. So that's the way they're treated, um, which isn't really fair. Um, you know, I, I know that he played when he was playing in um uh cutter he was he played in the asian champions league um i know that he scored at least one goal because i found a photo of him celebrating uh after scoring that goal and the caption told me that he had scored um 
so that's not nothing. That's not a joke. Um, that the Champions League over there is better than the CONCACAF Champions League uh, top to bottom. Maybe not at the very top, but the bottom of it is better than the bottom of the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, so he's had some success. He's just bounced around a ton. And anytime you see a resume like that, you start to wonder what's going on. Um, it, I haven't seen anything saying that there have been like, he fell out with this coach or he fell out with that coach. Um, maybe this is just the way things are in some of these leagues that you get a short-term contract. And if you don't um, play absolutely brilliantly, then maybe they cut you loose. I don't know. I don't know enough to speculate. Um, but, uh, you know, getting signed in the Turkish league, that's not, I mean, yes, uh, he was playing for the team that would have been at the bottom of the table and relegated, if not for there being no relegation in Turkey this year because of COVID. Um, and he wasn't playing a ton. But this is not you know, the Turkish league top to bottom is stronger than MLS, mostly because of the very top. Um, but a lot of those teams through the middle are probably just as good as you would see in MLS. There's there's probably not a huge difference between the 12th best team in Turkey and the 12th best team in in this league. So um, he was there. He he scored one goal in 189 minutes. Um, not a lot of minutes, but, you know, that's not a bad strike rate. It's something. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very tough to gauge because we don't have a lot of transfers in this direction, um, where the player comes from the Middle East to play in MLS. We just don't have a track record to say, oh, you know, this happened 10 times and this is the success of those guys. So we can expect this. We don't have it. We, we just don't have a track record. So, um, I know that they were looking at him before this season. Um, yeah, he was on the radar back in December. Right. Um, and at which and point not, he was still playing for Boston River in yes, Uruguay, which is not which an is, MLS club. <laughs> no, that is a hell of a name for yes, it's very Uruguayan confusing. Team. Boston River in Uruguay. Um, it, it's so close to Fall River, Falls River, Marksman. Right. Um, but, but uh, it is not, they are not the same. Um, no, where's Bar- yeah. where's where's the South American Barcelona? Uh, Ecuador, Ecuador, okay, yes. Um, so yeah, that you know, he was playing there. His contract had just ended there, and the rumor went that it was DC, Portland, uh, Millonarios in Colombia, and two other Colombian clubs that are, their names are escaping me because I don't have the article in front of me. But established Colombian clubs in their first division. Um, so you know, that's a group of teams, you know, collectively that aren't terrible at evaluating players. So if they were interested, there must have been something there. In the data, in on tape, I don't know, but there was some kind of interest there um, from teams that are good enough where you say, okay, that's a signing that makes sense for an MLS team. Um, but I feel like it's fair to say none of us really know much about Rivas at all. So I feel like the reaction has been out of line in that people are reacting like he is just a dude that was signed off the street um, and is not MLS caliber at all. No one has any idea. Um, so my, my, I would say my expectation is he contributes, you know, maybe chips in a couple goals and is coming off the bench um, most likely. And that would be great. Um, if we find out that he's like on a, you know, just below TAM level max salary and he contributes only that, then that's bad. Um, that's but it, yeah. He's most likely not. That is very, very unlikely that that's the salary offer. Um, so I would suspect that we're talking about depth. Um, and we've been talking about needing a forward. 
for a long time. So he addresses <laughs> that. If he comes out and it's and it's a clearly like a CMC or alarm level player, then that's you know that's alarm bells should be going off. I really don't think he's going to be uh, uh, Mancini or Alam yeah. out there. I think he's going to be a perfectly fine MLS second choice forward is m- what my expectation is. Um, and I feel like DC needed a guy that could do that because we, d- you know, Sorga's only 20. We have to assume that there's going to be some growing pains there. And DC doesn't have time for growing pains right now at certain positions. You've got to be contributing to the attack. They need something. And they also just need healthy human beings that are capable of playing MLS caliber soccer. Um, I mean, we've seen Kamara get injured literally twice this year. So having another forward who's not him or Eric Sorga, having a third guy there makes a lot of sense because we've been starting Ulysses Segura at forward regularly. Having an option to not play Ulysses Segura as a starting forward in games is key. Yes. That that seems important. And Um, and even like he was starting games as a lone forward. Um, yeah, not even, not even in a duo. He was up front by himself. Um, it's been that's a problem. When your, that's when your roster isn't ready for the league. Um, yeah. so we, we, this addresses that this is a, a move to address that probably for not a lot of money. If he, if in he's the last terrible, two weeks, the team has addressed both their most glaring depth issues, not overwhelmingly, you know, not in a way that inspires, you know, people to believe that we are going it, to win the league, but they've done something. <laughs> right. Um, you know, in a COVID economy, uh, I feel like people need to temper their expectations about like a third designated player coming aboard. Um, this is a team that has had to furlough employees. Um, and I believe ask or take advantage of the paycheck protection program. This is not a team that is about to go sign the next Wayne Rooney. And by that, I mean Gonzalo Higuain. Um, <laughs> I know we're all having fun wishing that that was what was happening, even though this is the same fan base that was also like 32. You might as well be dead at that age um, as far as professional soccer is concerned. Um, but yeah, Rivas addresses a roster need in a way that makes sense for MLS. It's not thrilling. And look, maybe he goes out there and he's awful, or maybe he's one of those weird MLS signings that just happens to work out. I mean, Bradley Wright Phillips came to MLS and it was like exactly. League One. What a what an idiot! He must be the worst soccer player in human history. And then he scored a hundred goals. That's um, exactly the reference I was going to make. Yeah. So MLS is a bizarre league that signs players of all different kinds of. You have World Cup winners, and you also have guys with a roster or a resume that it's like. I don't know what to make of this at all. Um, you get guys bright or um, Daryl DK uh, was drafted this year out of college soccer. People think college soccer is horrifically bad uh, right now. He's got three goals in three games for Orlando. Um, you know, the range of players that succeed in MLS is hard to predict. So um, I, I feel like the reaction today was confusing to me because no one knows anything about this guy. So how, how can you have a strong take? Right. I think at this point, a lot of the reaction was honestly about the way people feel about DC United yes. right now on the field. If it wasn't a game-breaking signing, and even if it was, people who are mad are going to stay mad. They're going to react negatively until things change on the field. And 
a guy that none of us who are nerds and deep in this game are qualified to speak much about is not going to move the needle for them. And so they are going to react very negatively, which happens on even like the first signing of every off season is always something less than a game changing signing and people react negatively. Like it's the last day of the off season. So I'm not surprised that there was a negative reaction to this. Well, I, and I think some of the, uh, the frustration is also uh, leftover frustration, uh, that has been building this entire season that these are some of the moves that should have been made in December and January and February and like making them now is still necessary. Obviously we still need a second forward uh, to compete with Eric Sorga for minutes behind Ola Kamara. And if Ola Kamara gets injured, then we have two options and we need a fourth center back. But I think some of the frustration is also these moves should have been made a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I'm willing to assume that some of that moves similar to these, uh, another center back, another forward, whoever they may have been, I assume the team was lining up moves that could have been made in March or April before the the primary transfer window would have closed under normal times, uh, even if it is late and after the season has started. And they didn't happen for obvious reasons. But now they're they're trying to fill those holes. They should have done their work in the off season instead of saving it for the very end. Sometimes things happen that are out of your control. Sometimes there's a global pandemic that makes it even worse. And then you're stuck with not enough of any position. Um, but, but moving on uh, another little bit of news that, that I first saw because of pro soccer USA's Emily Olson. Um, Rodney Wallace is training with DC United right now. He's recovering from hip surgery um Costa Rican international obvious spent time with DC United uh back in the last decade um came out of the University of Maryland eventually went on to Portland uh spent 2019 with Sporting Kansas City and is currently without uh a contract he he's training with DC United I don't know if if I know he's wanting to make a comeback I don't know if DC United is eyeing him for that think it would make sense to at least keep your eye on him much like LAFC kept their eye on Andy Nahar, let him train with them and then signed him uh, for a, you know, a reasonable price it would make a lot of sense for DC United to do something similar with Rodney. If he's, you know, if he shows up and looks anything like he used to, because he is a very useful MLS player. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Oh no, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say like, I don't think there's any way we can expect him to look like, 2010, 2011, 2012, Rodney Wallace blazing up and down the field, causing havoc, uh, because he's had a ton of injuries since then, uh, and that they have taken their toll. I think we were talking before the show that like he had have to have his he had to have his hip like resurfaced or reground or something like that, mm-hmm. something that just sounds terrible and awful, and so he's not going to be the electric player that we all have in our minds from a decade ago that we got very sad that DC United had let go once he was uh, in Portland and, and other places. So he could be like as a fullback or a wingback in, in with this current team setup. I mean, almost no matter what, unless he just like can't play uh, he'd be a good depth signing, but, I I mean, and if he comes cheap, why not do it? But I, I just, 
tempering expectations. He's been out of it for a while, but this is the classic buy low and you've got nothing. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And and we're still talking about a team that has 26 players on its roster. Right, exactly. Um, so there's Again, plenty of more room, signings. Plenty of room to continue to improve the group. Um, Wallace plays a ton of different positions that DC isn't very deep at. Um, whether it is left back, left wing back as a left winger, um, he's won an MLS Cup. Um, he, we think of him uh, playing central midfield for a time under Tom Sohn. Yeah, don't do that. Don't put him in central midfield. But, I have bad memories but, of that. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's not the best era, that that late zone era, not not that great. Um, but the point is, this is someone who has been, has seen a lot around the league. He's never been on a team that was bad, um, except, I, I guess, last year's Kansas City, which was more of an outlier team there than it was a truly bad team. I think they were, I, I think there's something out there. There's some data pointing to them being like one of the most unlucky teams in the last couple seasons, as far as their place in the standings. Um, but um, he's only 32. Like we're talking about the Tom Sohn Ancient. era, which make which makes you think that this is must be a player that's like 40. Um, but Wallace came out of college early. Uh, he, I think it was after his sophomore year. Um, so uh, I think there's still something still something there. Um, he didn't, when he left Kansas city, he didn't look, or I should say NYCFC. Cause I don't think, I think at Kansas city, his injury happened fairly early in his time there. So he didn't play a lot. Um, but at NYCFC, he was still a regular contributor who did not look like he was all of a sudden unable to run. Um, so if he comes back from the procedure he had in the off season and is physically able to perform, then from a soccer standpoint, from a mentality standpoint, yeah, I've got no problem with it. I mean, it's no secret. He is a University of Maryland guy who grew up in Rockville. So, of course, I want him to do well at this club specifically. Um, but I also I just want the team to have better players. And this is someone that I think could contribute in a lot of different ways. Maybe not full time starting, um, but that's OK. DC doesn't just need better starters. They also need to have somewhere to turn when there are a few guys out. Um, and I think and he we would know be that, able to, con- no, go ahead. We know that there's two more of these six game sprints and we're yes. halfway through one of them and the team's already been decimated just within this, the three games we've seen. So piling more six game and three week sprints, two of them, you yes. need every warm body you can get. And, and having a contribute. guy with the experience of Rodney Wallace and the, the positional flexibility, like you said, makes a ton of sense. And he knows Ben Olsen. They played together on those Tommy right. Sohn teams. So, yeah, and, let, you know, we can't get ahead of ourselves because what we've got is um, Emily's report. And he, on Instagram, posted a photo of himself in, in what looks to be the Audi Field Gym in a DC United training top on, I think, an exercise bike. Um, so at least some of it might be a, he doesn't live in the area in the off season. I think, I think his family set up in New York city during the off season, even when he was with Kansas city. Um, I, that, that could be wrong. It could be Portland instead. Cause he was there for a while. But, um, so this isn't a case of him just chilling in Rockville and being like, can I come by and exercise with you guys? This is a, he's here, not at home trying to train. He's not driving home tonight. He would be in the area, you know, staying at a hotel or what have you. Um, so 
that's a more serious commitment than just like, oh, well, this guy is from the area, so he's driving in to use the gym because he used to play for the club, and it's a nice little uh, gesture for his contributions of the past. This is, you know, you're here to maybe be evaluated for a contract. So um, from that ex- that side of things, it, it is maybe more serious than um, some of the other instances of, oh, this guy is at training. We've seen that in the past. Um so I hope it works out. Um, I've got no problem with the roster being, I do think they, it can't, all of these moves can't be depth and adding, filling out the roster. Right. Uh, they do also need to improve the front of the roster or the, the top of the roster to some degree. Um, some of that is Paul Ariola might not be, it might not be too long before he's able to contribute. Um, obviously we, we've kind of written off his contributions for 2020, but if he happens to come back in, you know, late September, early October, he still has quite a few games that he gets to play in because of the way the schedule's worked out. Um, and that will improve the team. Flores won't, it won't be that long before Flores is playing again. Um, so maybe part of it is just having the top of the, literally the top of the salary uh, budget back on the field rather than not available to play. Um, so, but yeah, now you have Wallace me here by himself just... fine. But don't keep signing. It can't all be Gelman Rivas, Alex or Axel Schuberg, uh, Rodney Wallace. It has to. Someone else has to come in that is maybe vying for a more regular role. Right. Two things. One, I agree with you. The best way to build depth is to sign people that relegate your starters to depth. Um, like that just improves your team. Uh, but right now, I'm I'm just cackling internally at the idea that. Um, Ariola and Flores come back lightning in a bottle catches. And this time it sticks DC United sneaks into that 10th playoff spot in the East and make just runs through and makes a runs and run the playoffs, just cackling it being the first double digit seed to make noise in the playoffs. It, um, it would be the most MLS <laughs> thing for this season to end with an MLS cup winner, uh, finishing in the temporarily expanded, uh, playoffs, uh, 10th, 10th spot. Um, and like and like also coming through like a playoff game that involves like uh I don't know the other team has the chance to win the game on penalties and the guy like slips approaching the ball and the shot doesn't even reach the goal and then they end up coming back in the penalties to win via that. Um some sort of bizarre happenstance. Uh, I'm picturing the ball like rupturing at some point. Like it the keeper's obviously beat, but the ball ruptures and just dies on the goal line and doesn't right. roll. These guys are already flat. Listeners, these guys are already talking about playoffs. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm I, had to be- I, I said this is a this is a a a, a, a maniacal, almost um, revenge like fantasy on on right. MLS in 2020. Dream. Yes, very yeah. much a fever dream. But right before we started this, I was on uh, the Seeing Red podcast to talk about DC's next game. And at one point I happened to say, and now DC's in last as a result of that. And they're like, you guys know you're not in last, right? And I was like, uh, are you sure? And they're like, no, 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 we're looking at it. It says you're not in last. And like, it doesn't. Yeah, we're three like points that. ahead of Miami. Yeah, we are, we are three points ahead of Miami. <laughs> that win was for position on the table. Who knew? Um, well, let's talk about DC United's next game. It is against the Metros Wednesday night in New Jersey. Watch it on WGL. JLA 24-7 News. News Channel 8 was much easier to say. They should st- they should have stuck with that. I'm sorry. 
DCUnited.com will have it if you're in the immediate area. ESPN Plus if you are further afield. Again, 7.30 Wednesday night. Um, The Metros are currently fifth in the East on 11 points. Uh, DC United are in 13th of 14 teams in the temporarily expanded Eastern Conference uh, on six points from eight games. Not great, but we've been talking about that a lot. So let's talk about the Red Bulls instead. Uh, (laughs) They've been defined by their press in recent years. They kind of backed off a little bit of that last year. They weren't able to maintain the insane levels of pressing that they had done in the past. Jason, where are they now on, on that spectrum? Uh, They're definitely not the all out. We're only defined by pressure and that's it. They're not that team anymore. Um, I think to some extent, they don't exactly know what they are. Um, If you look at this last game against the revs, um, one of the things with their style of play is that generally you see passing accuracy drop off for both teams because they destroy that aspect of the game. They don't want it to occur. They just want the ball to be pinballing all over the place. Um, and against the Revs, they did that to themselves, but not to the Revs. Um, their passing accuracy was only 63%. Um, so that's bad. And there's a reason why, you know, to to plug that seeing red appearance again, they were like, yeah, we feel just as bad um, because they've also been struggling pretty badly. Um I think they are not 100% sure whether they want to be the Red Bulls that are defined solely by high pressing uh, or to be a team that can possess a little more and be uh, a play at a slower pace uh, that is more controlled and less chaotic. Um, so they're kind of in between, which feels familiar where we know about being in between two mindsets this year. Um uh, the other problem with the Red Bulls right now is that they've just had they've had talent leave and they haven't really replaced it. Um, so when you look at their roster, I guarantee you, if you're a DC fan and you don't watch every other team play every other game, you're going to look at this roster and be like, who who the hell is that? Um, and it's not because you haven't paying close to tough attention. It's just that they've got a bunch of guys that have barely been in the league. Um, they've got guys that are call ups from uh, Red Bulls too that got signed to contracts with MLS this year instead. Um, but there's not a lot of high level, I mean, Kaku is still really good and they've got a bunch of guys that are solid. Like they, they're a team that doesn't have a low floor as so much as that their ceiling is also very low. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a room where the ceiling is too close to the floor and neither of them is, is particularly high. So that's why they're not that good right now is they just, they've kind of stripped the team down and they have not replenished what they've lost with anything really new and a couple you know, notable players haven't played that well. Aaron Long has not looked good in MLS this year. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, they rotated against the Rebs, so we're probably going to see a stronger team. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not very good right now. I don't know if this is going to be a very good game. I hate to say it. <laughs> so talking about their floor and their ceiling, it's, is, is it just a room where Chris Armis is just kind of like hobbling hunched over through the room, trying to get uh roll a ball towards the other side of the, uh, the side of the room? A little bit, um, yeah. And he's not a particularly tall guy. Or kind of body, this pantomiming you were doing there, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm hunching, and here's the ceiling. It's, yeah, it's not a visual medium. Uh, I think I need no, to make that. Clear. I just, I needed to just give props to Ben for that that pantomime. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. very good. It was very convincing. <laughs> I said Igor. I'm really picturing Igor from Young Frankenstein. 
Um, right. The, the, the number one Igor of, of all yes. time, I feel like we should yeah. yes. say. Naturally. Um, so, Jason, the Red Bulls, um, ha- have they played mostly 4-2-3-1 in their, their high-pressing days. They played some more exotic stuff, like 3 3 three one kind of formations but now they're they're not that pressing team anymore they still press and try to dirty the game up like you said but they're doing it out of a four four two yeah and it's really it's really i i refer to it as four two 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 because they really want that box uh to be in place would you say um, it's an empty bucket i would say box um that now that we're getting that that specific there are times where (laughs) their wide players do sometimes step out wide when they want to lower their block. Um, but I think they principally, they do want to keep that box shape. Um, and, and still I, they want that midfield overload. It's the same reason the union play a diamond is that they want four guys against most of what most of the teams they encounter play three. Um, and they want that overload. Uh, and they want to ensure that it's always there, that they're not asking a fourth guy to drop in from another position, they want that overload already in place so that if they ask that extra help from a forward or a fullback, it becomes five on three. Um, That's what they would like. Um, It's still kind of up in the air as far as like I, I, their personnel don't necessarily fit it right now. They're, they're a weirdly composed team. Um, And so, you know, this, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, this this game against the Revs, they had Kaku playing as a forward. He's not really a forward. Um, they had Omir Fernandez, who's a homegrown product for them. They had him playing in the midfield. He's not really a midfielder. He's more of a winger forward. Um, it kind of extends throughout the team. Um, Amro Tarek has been keeping both Long and Tim Parker uh, on the bench. Amro Tarek is, is a guy that's replacement level in MLS, and he's been keeping one of the normal the guys you think of as their starting center backs, he's been able to fight them off for time because they have both been playing badly. Parker's not going to play against DC. He got sent off uh, in stoppage time against the Rebs, so he's out. Um, so big surprise, it's probably going to be Long and Tarek as their center backs. Aaron Long is not the guy that he was when he was defender of the year quality, U.S. national team, all that. He's been pretty bad. So they're going to be vulnerable at the back. Um and that brings the risk of them trying to step this high press up. It, it, it illustrates that even more it underlines that center back problem, because in the past when they've been really good at high pressing teams, they've always had that center back duo to fall back on to say, if this team breaks our press, we can at least diffuse the situation because our center backs are really good. That's not the case right now. Um, and that may be part of why Chris Armas is like, well, can I really high press all the time? Because I don't know if my defense is going to come through. Um, so yeah, they there is a reason they're at the where they are in the standings. It's much like DC's where um there's a lot of confused lineup selection choices. Um they have 11 points, but it feels like they have a lot fewer. Um they have not been good to watch. Like the eye test you would think they have 6 or 7 points. Um so they've had a little luck on their side. I w- I would I think that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, it's going to be the box and DC needs to consider how they're going to deal with that overload because against the union, they did not deal with it very well. I wonder if we see the, um, the three, four, two, one that we saw in the second half against the revs, which should theoretically be able to neutralize that box because you have 
the two attacking midfielders, the two defensive midfielders in there. Um, that's what I would it do. Seems like a oh, yeah. I'll spoil and that. That gets I, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that gets I you mean, Griffin Yao in that attacking position that that we know Jason loves. Lets you keep Julian Gressel, who has looked a lot better as a wing back than he he did at any point in higher up the field or or in the middle for DC United. So I I think that's where I would land too. I mean, I think DC's job in this game is to make sure that that midfield overload isn't the story of the game um, uh, with or outside of the box, because they also, one thing the Red Bulls are still good at, they're still good at set pieces. They still have very good set piece um, design. They don't have a bunch of big guys. It's not like they're just a, a huge team of, of great athletes who are good at jumping. Um, they are really clever at creating set pieces that misdirect you get the ball to a place that you're not and they create high high quality chances from that dc has been very bad at set piece defending lately but i don't think it's been because the revs and the union had brilliant set piece design it's just the basics of getting beat to the spot um it's nothing more than that um so on one hand i think that's a big worry that's a way that this game you know dc could dominate this game and lose it on set pieces if they keep defending set pieces the way they've done in the last two games um, the flip side of that is that if they improve that just a little bit, they should be able to deal with it fine because they will have, uh, an aerial advantage. Even if, even if Fred Briant and Steven Birnbaum aren't back, they should still have an aerial advantage. Um, so if they can get it together in that regard, you're taking a big chunk of the Red Bulls offensive threat right now off the table. Um, and if you do that, then, you know, you set yourself up to maybe get something out of a game and finally stop this uh, interminable uh, run without wins. They haven't won since March. It's only been six games, but it's also been <laughs> 8,000 years. So yeah. I think that does it for tonight. Hopefully DC United can stop the bleeding against the Red Bulls on Wednesday night. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, if you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Throwing it back to uh, our last show uh, from the, the middle of last week, our second show. Um, just a reminder that all our Patreon support for this month is going to the Milwaukee Freedom Fund um, to to support the protesters up there in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, just wanted to make sure if you're if you are supporting us financially, you know where your money is going this month. That's that's what it's going to. Find us on Twitter at Black and Red U at filibuster DCU. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told reviews and ratings are very important. I mostly just want you to tell a friend about the show. So when you're watching the game against the Red Bulls, whether you're on a Skype call, Skype call. Um, whether you're on a video call on Zoom or, or some other service or, or actually social distancing in person at a bar or in a house, just mention the podcast. That's about the nicest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Good riddance, Deloy Hansen. Bye, bish. Goodbye forever.